Hi everyone and welcome to another episode from the Product Coalition European Tour. I'm in Cardiff for the bonus Cardiff series where today I'm really excited to be joined by Baff Kirtler and Matthew Fitzgerald. Welcome gents. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Thank you for invitation, Jay. Absolute, absolute pleasure. Now, before we get stuck into the topic of how everyone in a strong product team should be product people first, I do need to, to give some thank yous. So the first thank you I need to give is to dupol.co for the introductions to all of the guests here in, in Cardiff. Uh, Dupol is a global online survey provider that has recently switched to a pay-for-value model, meaning you can get started with their real-time multilingual and embeddable surveys for free today just go to dopol.co that's d-o-o-p-o-l-l.co now this tour and every single episode um, from the tour is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire affected communities wildlife and volunteer firefighters in australia so if you enjoy this show or any of the podcast episodes on the product coalition european tour please consider supporting those causes at bushfire.productcoalition.com I'm visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders like Baff and Matthew here today to gain insights, knowledge and experience to share with you, the Global Product Coalition community. And if you've just joined us, welcome. We're a community of over 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members and thousands of podcast listeners. Now, before we get stuck into the episode, I also need to recognise and thank um, some brands and individuals that have been significant donors to, to the causes that I've mentioned so far. Userpilot is a code for a user onboard and an adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. Userpilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to book your demo and get a free trial. Shobit Chug is the intentional product manager, a Google product manager, and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Head to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Showbit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. Two other individuals I'd like to thank are Rich Miranoff and Chris Miles. Gents, we can have some fun now. So in the, in the podcast episodes, um, we have an icebreaker at the start. So in Melbourne, it was a local's guide to Melbourne. In the Sydney one, it was a bit of a pub quiz. Um, for the European tour, I've, I've tried to go city or country specific. So the game today is called, is it Welsh or not? <laughs> All right. So um, first up, um, I'll, I'll go one each. I've got two products here for you. So the, the first one, is it Welsh or not? Powered flight. Is that invented in Wales or not? Never heard of, so I'm not... Powered flight, like aeroplanes? Um, possibly, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> I, I can't say for certain. Do you think, Matthew? No. No? Wasn't. No? I don't think so, anyway. How come? Who do you think? I thought it was the Wright brothers. Yep. 
And so would I, to be honest. But my trusty friend, the internet, says uh, Bill Frost, a carpenter from Saundersfoot in South Wales, was seen flying 500 yards or 457 metres in modern money uh, in a plane made by himself in 1896. He patented his invention but was too poor to renew the patent. Two years later, the Wright brothers officially made aviation history. Wow. The wow. power of patenting, yeah. um, even back then. But there we go. that the actual uh, intellectual property office is actually based in, in, in Wales. Like I can <laughs> right, say okay. that. So uh, <laughs> anything that is painted these days in the UK uh, ends up in South Wales it's by default. Right, okay, <laughs> so technically it's so all yeah. Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. All right, next one is... is what we now know, and I'll, I'll direct this one to you, Matthew, mm-hmm. first off. So, the toaster, Welsh or not? Oh, that's a good one. And I don't know, so I'm going to say yes, it is. I think yes, yeah. um, I would say yes. Yeah? Uh, mm-hmm. It's got to be something, right, that is made in Wales. Is it the Welsh rare bit sort of cheese on toast concept that <laughs> might drive that decision? <laughs> Could be, yes. Could be. Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the most it's famous it's toast. Um, so, uh, dish. apparently not. Uh, it's Scottish. Alan McMaster's the Scotsman who invented the first is the first who invented the first electric toaster. Um, born in Edinburgh, uh, developed the electric toaster way back in 1893. What's interesting about that was it was invented a full 35 years before the invention of sliced bread. Wow. Ah. All right, ne- next up, um, we've got a little bit of a test on um, your Welsh language. Have you speak any Welsh? No. No? Uh, I'm not a Welsh speaker, but I can say my son <laughs> definitely loves there we Welsh, go. you know, and, and also my daughter. Well, we'll see if you've been paying Welsh. attention to their Welsh uh, linguistic uh, studies. <laughs> I can tell you a couple of phrases, but that's about it. All right, well, let's see if you know these ones. So first up, we've got Sponken. Sponken. Now, the, the question here is, sorry, I forgot to introduce this bit, is did I invent that word <laughs> or is it Welsh? Um, invention. You think I made Sponken up? Um, could well be. Maybe You don't want to go it's... for a game of Sponken? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't. Yeah, can't. Well, connect. in a world where Microsoft is... Um, and microwave is pop the ping. I think you could right. have very well not made that happen. Right, it could okay. Be true. You think it's true? Mm-hmm. So, Matthew, you do get a point. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Sponkin means squash, the sport. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that's there we go. Interesting. Right, the next one. So, did I make this up this morning or is it a Welsh word? I've got to get my pronunciation almost sounding Welsh. Buwick Gok Gotta. It's a Welsh, Welsh uh, phrase, yeah. but like what, can't what do you think it is? In can't the dots. No, um, you know, I'm an outsider to Wales. Work, so God, <laughs> God, uh, Matthew. I don't know what it means, but there's something about the goch in the middle of it that's yeah. making me think it might be a real word. Gave it away, right? Okay, you, you, you'd be right. Um, it means ladybird, but apparently, the literal translation means little red cow. <laughs> oh, little red cow. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay, let's let's get stuck into the episode. Um, we're going to be talking about how everyone in strong in a strong product product management team should be product people first. But before we do, do you mind sharing your individual product stories so far in your context of of your road into product? So maybe Beth, if we could start with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my journey to, to product management um, comes through a, a path of, of, of software engineering um, right. path. Um, I, I went to um, uh, Cardiff University, did a computer science degree. Right. Um, from there, um, obviously, my career started as a software engineer um, and quickly, right, right after that, that enterprise products based projects that I was involved um, led had a lot of um, um, you know we were building software for, for, for enterprise users but those users were not completely using you know the software products in a, an effective way and then clearly gradually you quickly pick that um, you know, the, the skills that you need to brush up on and, and one of which was um, the other side of of who we're building products for, which is the, the, the real users, understanding them. And, and clearly um, what, there was a need for me to then uh, brush up those skills and, and did a career break, went back uh, to university, and did an, uh, a master's in business administration, administration with product right. management, um, that gave me the holistic sort of two-sided view, um, and, and straight after that, then uh, the companies I worked for was and the roles were much suited for me to to be on playing on the product management side, um, which which I've done ever since. Right, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. And and where are you now, back uh, Right now, um, uh, I I. I founded a, a product uh, first consultancy right. um, called Product Labs. Um, in fact, uh, Product Labs is a partners with progressive um, companies uh, to build a world class product management capabilities right. uh, for digital success. And in practical terms, what that means is we help companies adopt modern product management best practices for the new digital world we live in. Right. Um, it's, it's an initiative that has been running for several months now. Um, prior to that, uh, obviously, I, I, I founded Product Tank Cardiff, which um, Product Tank is uh, one of the largest uh, product um, and tech communities in the world, as you probably know, Jay. Um, and yes, it's been it's Wales's go-to uh, product and tech community where we all get together and talk products um, and how we build great products that users love using. Awesome, awesome, I love it. And Matthew, do you mind sharing your story? Sure, so my early career was in the military. I was a surveillance team detachment commander. Done wow, a, right, okay. Yeah, done a few tours of Iraq and Afghanistan and then decided it was probably time to move into the private sector, de-risk my life a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. So um, my path was similar to Baths. I started in software engineering in a large <laughs> enterprise. We were launching our capabilities in the UK where most of the software engineering was happening overseas. It's through that process we identified a need for somebody to be the customer body within the organisation. And the role sort of progressed from there. I didn't even realise I was a product manager for the first year or two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, following from there, I went into some startups in a couple of loops really? through there, and um, now I'm working for LexisNexis Risk Solutions right. as a senior product manager. 
Awesome. Brilliant. I, what's exciting is I, I had a really good podcast recording with Anthony Murphy in mm. Sydney, who's um, also the foundations of his career in the Australian military. And yeah. um, some really interesting insights that, mm. that shaped his perception of product management as a craft and industry and also uh, general leadership. So, so really looking forward to hearing um, s- some more from you. Okay, so um, the topic is about uh, in strong product teams, um, everyone should be should be product people or, or have a product mindset. Um, c- could you could you get us going, Baff? On what what are your thoughts on the on this topic? Uh, it's it's very interesting. Um, uh, question, uh, open question there, Jay. Uh, so. Um, if you look at the the progression of, of project management as a discipline and how long uh, you know where it had you know where it was in, in the last decade versus where it is today and what is um, going to look like in the next ten years, it, it's come a long way um, as a as a discipline. Um, uh, always, it's been almost like product people who were involved predominantly in the settings of uh, uh, large enterprises or even medium-sized companies always has been a, an afterthought of, yeah, we have a product person in, but that role has never kind of uh, mm-hmm. been holi- holistically sort of uh, defined where the value add of that person would be. So uh, if you look at the te- last 10 years, it's been about uh, product management discipline has come a long way. Uh, that is thang- thanks to the democratization of agile methodology as a whole. Um, delivering software, shipping software very fast to to, to, your, to your users um, through the, the role of product owner. Um, and yet, within the agile methodology is possibly, arguably, uh, uh, this is my opinion, uh, is one of the best in innovations from a, 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 a man- management innovations, possibly since early 1980s and why i say this is because uh, building software um, it's also that that itself has come a long way but always has been um, complex it's a complex sort of multidisciplinary so um, um, if we look at it now from a perspective of companies that want to be product-led and have seen how some of companies who potentially work within their sort of com- com- in, in sort of in the same uh, marketplace, they have to uh, re- readjust and readopt the, to uh, uh, and, and create um, and put the product management as a discipline right at the core of what they do. Right. Um, uh, this is how I would sort of describe or you know the value creation of uh, product management and why, why, why companies um, ought to really um, think and shift into product management uh, you know operate model um, now that's my assessment mm-hmm. uh, to where we were and where we are I think the next decade is going to be a lot more exciting about you know around this discipline and, 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 and value that create for companies as a whole what do you think Matthew? It's I absolutely agree so over the past couple of months I've been doing some research into the 
the main drivers behind product management over the last couple of years. And something which I came across which was quite surprising is that there's a study done by, I believe it was Deloitte, where they looked at the top companies listed on the American Stock Exchange. And those that have a very solid product discipline and are using things like the design thinking frameworks to develop their products have 60% higher stock value than those that don't. Right. So I think it's, that demonstrates in its own right it, the, the value of having a good product discipline within the company it can bring. And where do you think that needs to start for, for a business that yeah, the term that's obviously kind of thrown around quite a lot, particularly in the last 12 months, is being product-led? Yes. Um, okay. So, so, so what, what for a company that's decided this morning, right, we're going to be product-led, what does that mean? What, what are they doing different tomorrow if, if that's their approach? Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting that terminology is coined all the time. Um, but, but what that, in my view, what that means is nothing more than putting your product at the core of what you do and you drive everything else from there and not the other way around. And what I mean by the other way around is you create a, a company which then you bring about functions which then each function operates total silos and yet you have this product that you really are there to sell and service and yet you are disjointed what the product is and what real tangible value we're creating for the end users who in turns are paying their wages. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a mindset that needs to be shifted. Um, and this is what actually product-led companies, this is how I, I would personally define through my experience of 13 years building, you know, enterprise and, and consumer-based products. This is what is at stake. It's the, the way they operate, they've used to operate, versus to how now they need to operate. If they want to um, be still playing in those verticals. Yes, I think there's something which you mentioned to me when we met for coffee a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about there's a lot of buzz words getting thrown around at the moment, you know, innovation, yeah. digital transformation, and it's not really any of that. It's, it's about people transformation, right? It's about educating your employees to this is your product and really understand what drives it, the core metrics at the heart of it, and teach people how to understand them. It's, it's certainly a very good starting point to get it going. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, 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 again, it's also uh, part of... Uh, part of why or reasons why uh, you know digital transformations really fail and they fail in 80% ranges mm. um, are purely because of that you yeah. know and, 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 and the fact that um, uh, it's, 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 it's people transformation not digital transformation this is what I would I would say you yeah. know and then of course products right are the core of what of that organization that's what they really do and that's where value add for the users who are using mm -hmm. that product is or service well, what would you say is the difference um for where the customer sits when products at the core versus when product isn't at the core um uh, again uh, a product has got to be built around users needs um, now this is where an interesting uh, 
sort of uh, conundrum comes in because you have a lot of agile um, uh, teams that are predominantly focused on serving the uh, stakeholders' needs within the business and not necessarily serving their real users. Yeah. And this is what I, I would not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is where you have product-centric sort of teams uh, which are feature teams, essentially, um, as opposed to saying, look, the product team um, and the core purpose of that product team is to serve the, the user's needs and yet, of course, serving the, the, the stakeholders too is, is what they do, but predominantly focus on the user's needs because if those needs are met, then you clearly increase the chances of being more successful as a company. It's, 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 it's very simple as that. In, in, in my experience that I've experienced in, in many companies and then teams that I also put together and run. So as an interesting experience at a large enterprise I was working for, so we had a printout of the safe, the scalable, agile framework map on the wall. And what's really interesting to do is to look at it, and you can almost play Where's Waldo with the customer in mm, it, because yeah. you look at how some of these agile frameworks are being developed, and you think this, this could lead large companies astray if they're really looking at becoming product-focused and then moving through digital transformation, and somebody says, hey, why don't you give a scalable agile framework a try? It could really set them down the wrong path, just if they're focusing too much on the processes and all the departments that sit around that customer and they can gloss over it very easily. So if you could do a cut-in for the safe model and then yeah. just, ha just have a look at it, it's uh, certainly interesting. Well, what I always find with, with those, the selling of those frameworks to organisations is the mm. person who's paying for the framework to be implemented is also very distant from the customer yes. and that's why that visual diagram resonates with them so mm -hmm. well typically being a, a cfo or someone yeah. you know very finance driven who needs to optimize let's say five thousand employees and the yeah. way things are being delivered that diagram looks great it for doing that absolutely does. as opposed to someone from our world in the product space who's very customer driven who mm -hmm. as you say can play where's where's wally for the uh, yeah. for, for the customer on that uh, absolutely and you know it's that disconnect isn't it um the further you are in a you know layers uh, detached from your your customer, the less you know about that customer. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because you have quite a few companies who've gone through this cycle, where um, they only have put a very compelling case to change when they see in the stats that drones of their customers are leaving their products and switching for their <laughs> competitors' products. And it's 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 you know it's an interesting sort of uh, situation. Uh, some companies who really don't pay much attention on on, on, on customers from you know very earlier on, uh, how they you know, find themselves completely out, outpaced by their competitors. We 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 were speaking about um, strong product teams, and yeah. that there's a few principles that I assume that you've come up with that you would use to recognize what a strong product team is uh, you know what, 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 what sort of observations do you have on what a strong product team would look like um, uh, my personal view on this is again um, if, if we if we lead with the premise that we are all our product people in a team 
and we all first and foremost understand where uh, the cross disciplines of 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 the the roles we 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 are responsible for in in pro- in producing the outcomes of the product we build then i think that is the basis where we all start with essentially it's almost like building uh, a home you first have to build a foundation and also in that um, if you take a very uh, you know a strong product team oriented is made of product managers or product owner uh, it's made of product designers which play a key role but also you have the engineers who essentially build the thing and now if we just look at the uh, some of the you know uh, a life in, in in you know a day in life of a, a product team um, you have a lot of flavors because everything is driven by the context of the organization the culture of that organization but predominantly the principle that I I personally have applied quite successfully is to have this shared understanding uh, that we are all product people first and when I was predicating this I had some interesting insights from people um, engineers coming to me and saying oh but you know we've never had this before no one has put it in this sort of in those terms before and 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 and, and you see that there is a sense that they want to also have this common understanding of the customer itself understand not only the customer but how does how do as a company how do we make money right how do you understand the business model you know and all of these are things that a real solid product oriented uh, a strong product team has to have uh, in order to be responsible that we understand the customers deeply and we care about them and build the right uh, product and service around their you know, customers' needs. I think this is a baseline uh, model um, that certainly for me has had some very interesting impact. Um, and again, I'm, I'm talking of experience. I'm not talking that I have a framework that works for all types of teams, but things like that, you know, that you could you could start to apply and, and, and have this uh, kind of common shared understanding among the team and, and, and that dynamic um, is critical. It's what's interesting as well is it never seems to amaze me how many software engineers that I speak to don't meet their customers and they feel that their major value driver towards the business is just the code they write and you know it couldn't be further from the truth you know they're outstanding problem solvers so and it's just great when you get to pair a customer problem with a software engineer and you know you're all in a room and you can have an honest and frank discussion and you find that these are the best solutions that get built is from those sorts of meetings instead of having this daisy chain right it's um, uh, absolutely and, and again it's it's how you actually break the silos down mm. because a software engineer um, uh, they are incredible problem solvers uh, and if you break the silos down of, you know, uh, or, and also upskill them to understand the business side of things, you get an amazing um, impact right away from the get-go. That's the value for me. Yeah. 
don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's that you find the solutions are delivered far faster and they have a much larger impact than what they would have, should have they been developed in a silo, isolated away. Uh, for, for me, I mean, the, the, the ability to build empathy between the customer and the engineer yeah. gives gives them a reason to get up in the morning beyond the paycheck and to work yeah. with the colleagues. It gives uh, sets to direction. Absolutely. And it, if it is about purpose, this is it. You know, It's got to be about that uh, and understand really that where you truly are, are making a difference, a tangible difference is what it's all about. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it separates people who um, really are passionate about their crafts as opposed to other people who just do their crafts and um, do it in ways that maybe does not resonate with value or, or, or good outcomes. What are a few things that a, a product manager could do tomorrow to get his, his or her engineering or UX or whichever team it may be that they're working with closer to the customer, do you think, to get to this shared product mindset? That is a very interesting question, and um, I guess it depends on the organisation in which they work. So with regulated markets, it might not be quite as straightforward as maybe is with smaller firms. Mm. So for the smaller firms, I would strongly recommend just phoning your customer, getting them in, you know, just having a cup of tea, coffee, go to them, and, and just take a couple of representatives with you. You know, it doesn't have to be a big fancy ordeal, you know, where you bring them in and it's fanfare. You know, it can just be a very relaxed one-to-one -one meeting about, you know, just, hey, how things are going? You know, tell us about the problems you have, which is ultimately the goal of a product team, isn't it? It's to solve problems, not write code. With the larger enterprises, it isn't quite as straightforward because obviously you, even in the best, there are a couple of layers which you need to go through. So some of the tactics I've employed in the past have been to look at market intelligence reports to show them just at a very, very high level, this is what is happening in the industry, do you understand the value that we're going to be delivering by solving these problems? So instead of taking us just a big bang, I've taken them into the room with a with a customer straight away. So they're a bit like bunny and headlights. This breaking them into the mindset that actually I'm not here just to write code. I'm here to solve problems and just to build up that inner desire to meet the customer and build a rapport, as you say, the empathy part to solve those problems. Uh, absolutely, I could not agree anymore. And in fact. Uh, in regulated again environments, uh, I, I, I work for one of the largest banks in the Middle East, uh, running some of the critical, um, you know, digital transformation projects for them. And and part of uh, what Matt also mentioned is that how critical for an engineer is to 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 hear out how that how those users are crying out for um, uh, for s very simple solutions that could be provided to them. And, and I had an instance myself where actually I would, I would go and, 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 and listen to the, the calls of customers <laughs> to gather uh, insights that really are, are you know, transformative on how we bring about you know, uh, solutions that may uh, not be at scale, but could have that potential. Um, and when I, I, I kind of... Um, um, I was in this situation where we had um, gathered as much uh, requirements as possible um, and it was the whole purpose w of the project was also to reduce the the unbound calls we were, ha were having in our call centers and, and, uh, and engineers that were in my team um, 
were, uh, you know, uh, were never, they never have ever had had that opportunity to uh, even contemplate to, you know, to go and, and, and listen to, to what, 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 what users uh, are, are, are saying that they need. And, and, and we run this experiment whereby we, 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 was, we got some good sample of, of calls and then we played back to the, the team and the teams were, the team were, wow, you know, the penny dropped. And we quickly came to rectify a very, uh, you know, very, very interesting problem, which was a bottleneck, actually. And, and the customer yeah. service was suffering from it, which we turned into a solution. And I think it's, you start from that, you, you know, uh, you start from understanding your customers, regardless to, yes, in regulated environments, such as banking and, and financial services, it's far less uh, far less able to get closer to the customers, but actually, if you, you know, uh, apply, you know, the, the will and the grit to get that, to get to understand those customers better, and and and, and get the real data from them, you are able to really um, create solutions that uh, impact their daily lives. Fantastic! I, I certainly don't think I've ever run a sort of qualitative inquiry session and brought engineers along that have ever said that was a waste of time yeah that, that <laughs> everyone always learns something yeah uh, even if it's about the individual in the room and what they what your product means to them and their life and, and uh, how it's making a difference uh, absolutely yeah it's always valuable always valuable um finally ha- how do you go about sharing back the outcomes so we're talking about bringing them along on the journey for building and delivering but when, when you're reaching outcomes how what tactics do you use to to share those back to all of the product teams to to maintain that we're, we're all pulling together and we are steering in the right direction or not if that's the case yeah i mean uh, for me it's all about actually focusing not necessarily on shipping but focusing on impact um and Clearly, the impact is is it's 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 traceable impact, um, uh, as opposed of yeah, just you know by shipping every so often. Uh, in fact, what 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 generally the the drawback of agile methodology as a whole and the way it's applied to you know the, the, you know companies apply has created this. Uh, um, other sides of you know uh, problems, which is almost like uh, teams become uh, feature factories as opposed to yeah. be driven by real tangible value and impact. So this is what I would I, I would say you know it's more of uh, you know understanding the real customer. Start from that. The team has to have a shared understanding of what that means um, you build a thing in the right way and then you drive that impact I think this would be the yeah. how I would sum that up so some of the ways which um, have led teams to do exactly that in the past is not just by looking at you know quantitative feedback versus the qualitative feedback as well so you can have these repeat sessions when you start to set up an, a customer ecosystem within your business it's very easy to track these results and you know this is put all of the analytics aside to do with platform analytics you know you, you 
active daily users, all of this stuff is great. But I found in my own personal experience, the best way to drive home the impact is to get them back in the room and say, this is what you've done. So working, we work here a lot with, to try and counter fraud in LexisNexis. Right. And when you hear the stories come back about the things which we've managed to stop and the success stories, it really does have a profound impact on you to know that you know, the team built this and this is what you've done. It's like you have, you have made the world a safer place today because of this. That's really important. I think that, and that comes down to the skill of storytelling as a product manager and uh -huh. being able to tell that story. So it, it moves the rest yeah. of the team um, off of the off of what's on the presentation, but in their hearts. Yeah, it's, it's very important how, how you definitely you know tell that story and then impact um, through that way. And I think that needs to be done more and more and more with, mm -hmm. with, with teams because you know they, they also understand not only the lat but also. As a team, you, you form bonds. You it's, it's a team sport, after all. You know, uh, and when you when you win a game uh, as a team, you know, you you know, you kind of take pride on winning, but also you can see, you know, what that means to the wider, you know, landscape that they operate on. So I think that's that's critical. And I think we'd all agree there's nothing really that moving about staring at a dashboard and a little green line moving <laughs> up the screen, right? Yes. I mean, you can celebrate those burn down charts only so many times yes. <laughs> yeah. before yeah. it gets a little bit boring. Yes, for yeah. sure. Brilliant. Thanks so much, gents, for this session. It's been awesome to chat to you both and, and talk through this. Uh, and I'm sure the audience listening has found this valuable. Um, I really appreciate you spending some time with me in Cardiff. Oh, it's been great. Thank you for having me. Jay, thank you very much. And, and, and first and foremost, thank you for, for doing what you do because I think, you know, um, uh, you just, you know, are doing a great, a great job on, 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 on actually putting product management out there. Uh, and, and equally, it takes a lot of, you know, uh, in, you know guts to do this. Um, but also, most importantly, thank you for putting Cardiff at the, at the center of, of, you know, of your uh, European tour. Uh, as Cardiff is becoming a, a, a sort of a hot tech bad. And, and I think, you know, uh, you always are welcome to come back for more because there are so many uh, talented product people here in South Wales. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. It's, it's been great to, to, to spend some time over here and everyone's been awesome to me. It's been 20 years since I've been to Cardiff <laughs> and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last few days. And I also know how to ask someone for a game of squash, which <laughs> in well, Welsh, uh, which also always helps. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. That's, that's the... Uh, you don't make friends over the, salad, you make friends over squash. <laughs> that's, the, that's the impact, uh, you know, you have when you come to Wales. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode or, or any of the Product Coalition European Tour podcast episodes, please do remember that I'm spending this time to try and raise awareness and raise funds for the Australian bushfire affected communities, wildlife and volunteer firefighters. You can support those courses over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Baf. It's been great. Yeah, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.